world, easy world. It's your man and Boogie. Don't worry about the name. Get used to the voice. And it is another episode of Keeping the Towel. Thank you for joining me again. The Why I Kept My Towel series, Father Days edition. Where I'm going to go get a chance to go and vibe with some good and dope fathers who are going to speak their truth, their raw truth of their journey in fatherhood. So, yeah, folks, if this is a little bit too raw for you, I'm going to give you a great warning. Close your ears if you got virgin ears, or if it's the best thing, just step out. But if you really want truth, just stay right where you are. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Boogie's Gym. The doors of the gym is now open. The bag is right there. The rope is right there. The bike is right there. Go ahead and get warmed up. But, ladies and gentlemen, as we in this gym, I already got a person who's here with me. Someone who decides to go and say, Boogie, I'm going ahead and spar with you. All the way from the DMV, by way of the Buckeye State of Ohio, I got my man, Mr. Lee Grigsby. Mr. Grigsby, are you in the building, sir? Yo, yo, Lee Grigsby, head coach of Live All Good Coaching, LLC, is in the building. There we go. There he goes. In the building. <laughs> so my man is in the gym. And man, we yes. ready to get into this. So this is how it's going to be. So Mr. Grigsby, this is what I need you to do. Make sure you get out of your locker room. Make your way to the ring. Put on your gloves, get in your mouthpiece, and get in your last instruction. And ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and grab a seat. It's Lee and Aunt Boogie, and we are here in the sparring. Let's go ahead and touch gloves because, ladies and gentlemen, this round has officially started. Let's get into it. Let's step yes, in the time machine and take all us right. way back to where it all started for you. I will take it back to the pre-fatherhood beginnings. While she is not biologically mine, 26 years ago was when I really started on this personal journey of fatherhood. All right. My niece, I consider her my oldest because I had a very heavy and influential hand in raising her. So goes all the way back to that 1995. Here it is. You have your niece and mm -hmm. decide to put your hands in her raisin. Was this something that was planned or it was just an improvised move? Well, you know what? Good question. I appreciate that. So I will say that it was unplanned. I will also say that. So her mom did pass away in 2006 but even if her mom had not passed away and yes her mom my sister still would have been the same my niece's father is alive i'm still the same wouldn't have changed what i think the point of it being unplanned is is that when there's a need for fathering period whether it's your children whether they're biologically yours whether you are involved in some way teacher mentor even if you don't think you're a mentor what i saw was okay here is a young life that obviously needs some guidance right not because there's something wrong with her but because you want people to be functioning well-rounded thinking adults and i can i can say this honestly a lot of people don't speak about their relatives in a negative way my sister, love her, miss her dearly, had her own issues to deal with. It was important that my niece had good role models. My, my sister's not a victim, right? I'm not sitting here uh, speaking ill of her either, but we all know some parents who can't get out of their own way 
and have children. At that point, when my niece was born, while I'm, I was youngest, I'm the youngest in the family, but I always was protective of my sister. I made a choice and I told my sister this. I no longer can focus my energies on helping you get better. You are an adult. I am now going to focus that energy on her. I love you. I want you to be better. I want you to continue the work, but she needs me. So that's going to be my choice. So yeah. uncle becomes what I think as Wayne Brady put it, Dunkel now, dad and <laughs> uncle at the same time. So yeah. now yeah. uncle decides to go ahead and say, all right, yo, look, I got this. This Absolutely. is before now you have kids of your own, if I'm not mistaken, correct? I do. I have, I have one. Correct. All right. Mm -hmm. So this is before you have one of your own. You have this little being that mm -hmm. you don't have no clue about this fatherhood thing. What goes to your head that, holy crap, I'm a dad. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. a dad. Well, well and, and, and to be honest, right, I think the roles that happened were my mom, her grandmother kind of became the mother, especially after my sister died. She became the mother. I was in the father role. I want to say it was, this sounds probably bad, but it was an easy transition because I can't think of anything else I would have done. I can't think of doing it any other way. And even after her mother died, still having a hand in discipline, right? Like a death is a thing. It happens. We go through the grief process and I can only imagine what that's like as an 11 year old, but that does not excuse you or give you reason to act out. If you are acting out, I want to help you understand why you are acting out. So again, she didn't act out any differently than any other 11 year old would going through the grief process, but still working like I was going to school functions. There would be times where my mom was like, hey, I have an early meeting. So I did not live with them, but I would drive about 45 minutes to she was like, hey, can you take her to school? Can you? Yep. No problem. So I would get off. I was getting off work late at night, about 1130 midnight get up the next morning i would leave around my house around 6 6 30 so that i could be there in time my mom could go to her meeting go to her job i'm waking her up i'm making her breakfast take her to school go on home so there were those in plenty of those instances where that's that's just what you do i cannot see doing any other way again going to school functions also at this time uh, again, age 11 was when I actually purchased a cell phone for her because she would be at school and depending on the days, this was before like this aftercare and before care stuff, right? Mm. It was either there was an after school activity or you just kind of wandered aimlessly yeah. and hope for the best, right? Yeah. So that's why she got a cell phone that early. So if anything happened, she could call give me 30 minutes i'll be there or again call my mom whatever she had to do there's no book on this right there's no book well i take that back there are plenty of books <laughs> on parenting 
plenty of books. What I would say to this and what I actually lived through was, what do you want children to be? Basics are you want them to be happy, you want them to feel loved, and you want them to feel accepted. That's it for who they are, whoever they are. So I wanted to make sure that my niece did not have the same foundation that my sister did, because those were some of the things that my sister struggled with as an adult. Again, like I, I previously said, I worked with her, did everything I could to support her before my niece was born. Well, once my niece is born, okay, shift the energies because now this is a life that needs guidance, not an adult who can help guide themselves if, if you're open for that work. So yeah, it was definitely um, a learning experience, but I also know that, I mean, to this day, she and I have that bond. I want to state this too, and I'll put this lightly because I'm not going to disparage anyone who is alive, but her father is not the greatest models of fathers. And he has other kids now, so she has other siblings. There are many parents that we see that tend to focus on themselves and to think of their children as their possessions, like you belong to me. So that's just what I'll say about him. But all during her growing up, I made sure that I did not talk to her about the things that I knew her dad to be, because that's also not fair. She has to make her own opinions at the different stages of, of development about who he is, about what he does. That has to be her. I also knew that at one day, when she got to the point where she could discuss those things as an adult, I'd share them with her if she asked what my opinions were. But anytime I've ever spoken of him, I've always spoken facts that tied into something that I've always shared with her and mine now. And I, I, I'll, I'll share it here with the audience and any listeners. And this goes for men as well and young boys, but specifically from fathers to daughters. When they are dealing with relationships and dealing with the opposite sex, right? So growing up, you know, this, these preteen, teenage years, there's always this question of, well, how can I trust somebody, right? I've always told them this, no one is perfect. So no one's words and actions are going to match perfect. But the closer their words and actions are together, that will tell you with your instinct, that's how you know you can trust their character, period. And I've also added to that, again, like in these the, the different stages, when he's around his boys, how does he act when he's one-on-one -on -one with you? How does he act when you all are in mixed company? How does he act when you're in a setting like class or something like all those different settings? Is this boy acting in different ways or is it very similar? And that's what uh, I've stuck by that. And as they 
have become, well, as my niece grew and became an adult, she started to see those things. Now, it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to apply it. But at least the foundation was there for her to see it for herself. You said sure, that when sure. her father came through, he, was, he had this complex of you belong to me. But wouldn't you have that same complex? Because again, you raised this young lady since 11 mm -hmm. or 10. And mm -hmm. wouldn't you have that same complex if he came to you and said, well, she belonged to me. Well, no, she belonged to me because <laughs> I raised her and I seen some things that you haven't seen yet, brother. You know, aisle 13 <laughs> in the supermarket. I know about that aisle. You don't. So don't you have that complex for yourself also pertaining to her? No. How were you able every time, to separate it? Every time, no. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, because my goal was always for her to be the best person she could be. So I never pretended to be her dad. Everything he did or didn't do meant absolutely nothing to me or anything I was going to do, ever. So it was never a competition to me. I want to share this story, which probably will spell this out about her, hers and my bond. Uh, I remember she was in a dance recital, uh, some type of play or something. I think it was Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and she she was playing Toto, of all oh, things, wow. right? <laughs> Welcome to the real world, darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? That's a conversation for another day. But, but she was playing Toto. I think she was uh, three, four years old, something like that. Everyone was alive at this point. So I understood that her dad was coming and, you know, fine, cool, whatever. He could be there again. No competition, right? I know my place. I know where I stand with her. Mm -hmm. Like that bond is there. So I showed up late because I got off work. After the performance, you know, they're doing the bow and all this and introducing the cast characters. They let everybody come down and they're coming to see their family. Saw grandma, granddad, her mom, saw her dad who had this huge bouquet of flowers, like big teddy bear, whatever. And I'm off to the side in the back and she sees me, uncle, flies wow. past everybody. Wow. And jumps in my arms. So again, I didn't show up to embarrass anybody. It wasn't a competition. I had nothing in my arms. Mind you, I'm just down at her level, open arms, waiting to give her a big hug. That's it, when she saw me. Yeah. She bypassed everybody to come to me. That, that, that's the point, right? I want to add to this, like we I talked about what, what you want kids to feel, right? They want to be, you want them to feel love, you want them to be accepted, you want them to be happy. The unconditional love is, I think, more important to say, not just love, because that's where I drew no competition from her dad. It, it was never about the amount of things I bought her, never the amount of, oh, I get you gifts and this, amount of fun we had. It was about quality time and making her understand I love you unconditionally. That's it. And if you do that from the place of love in your heart, it comes across. You cannot fool kids. No. Now, as they get older, their minds start to say, oh, well, you know, he gives me gifts. He takes me out to the zoo or when they're little or they're older. He buys me stuff, right? Their minds start to play these games, but the foundation is already set. Brother, let me tell you, when my sister was pregnant, I was reading to my niece in the womb. So she already knew my voice. She knew my energy. She knew my smell. She knew me. On the day she was born, I left my job because I knew she's going to be born. I was there. Again, that bond 
was already there. Unconditional love. Take us a little further back in this time machine. 19... And here it is, Lee, is mm -hmm. this young man when he's in Ohio growing up. Mm -hmm. Take mm -hmm. us to that time, to mm -hmm. your village. We'll go back in the way back machine and... 19... <laughs> I love it. I will definitely say that I grew up knowing, like my dad was there, not, I know some families that the dad's not there, whether it's by choice, not by choice. So I get that. My dad was always there. What I learned from my dad was how to be a provider. He did everything and anything in his power to provide. So far to overextend himself and get in bad credit deals. But while that might not be ideal, he would make sure his children were not going to go without. This is and this was one of the main things of why I wanted to be in my niece's life, because what my father didn't do was the nurturing part that men need to provide. I did get nurturing and love from my mother, no doubt about it. But there is a difference in nurturing from men and women that doesn't make it right that doesn't make it wrong doesn't make it good or bad but it is a difference in nurturing i'll even go this far because let's let let's not work in this binary construct of men and women right there is a nurturing aspect to masculine energy that is different from the nurturing and love from feminine energy so be a gay couple be a lesbian couple. That's fine. You can't tell me that there's distinct masculine and feminine energy. And there is with same sex couples. And that's fine because the nurturing for that child, if they have one, that child needs that. So I go back to now my upbringing. That's where I was. I got the love and nurturing from most of the feminine energy not so much from the masculine energy. I will say that that helped my emotional intelligence as an adult now. And I will also say that some of the things that I've tried to not be were things that I grew up with or without. So for instance, and this plays into what I had to do when my daughter was born. I remember one Christmas where, you know, got toys and that kind of thing. So now you're opening toys, playing with toys. And one of these great electronic toys, it was like some crane arm, picked up things, put things, pretty simple, but awesome toy at the time. I was playing with it, however I was playing with it. My dad was like, whoa, well here, no, do this. No, play with it this way. No, wait, you gotta do it this. After, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, I just went around the corner from the living room and sat against the wall because I'm like, this is a my toy, but now you're telling me how to play with it. Now you've kind of commandeered it. I don't even want to be in here anymore. Again, I don't blame him for that now as an adult, understanding his upbringing, one of eight children. Uh, he, I, well, this kind of puts an age limit on things, but he was born in a depression. So I had an older dad, but I understand where he was coming from. And he brought all that forward because it was never addressed. So I learned that early on. I was probably like seven or eight at that Christmas. I don't even want to play with any of my toys anymore today. Like I'm done. He didn't mean anything by it. That was not his intent. He was excited and thought 
let me guide my son on how to do this. That was a nurturing moment that was missed <laughs> on his part and on mine. So I say that because I thought about that as I'm raising my niece, right? Teachable moments instead of let me point the finger and tell you how to do it or let me do it for you. Can't always do it for them. So then as my daughter was born or you know, my wife was still pregnant, but I really had to take stock of what kind of man I was. We want to control the outcome. We want to control who does what. Like some of us are worse than others. Like I'm worse than others. I I've been that guy, right? It's my way or the highway. I realized that was something that I saw growing up. Now, my dad didn't quite do that with anyone outside of the family. Nicest guy was like charming, was, whoa, hold on. But you're not doing that here. It's like, why aren't you doing this? You should have done this. So again, thinking about that and fast forwarding to when my daughter was born or before she was born, I really had to dive into, do I want to be the kind of dad who is going to constantly tell his child, no, don't do that. Don't touch this. Nope, that's wrong. Move here. Do this. Do that. And I realized, no, I don't want to be that way. So I had to really do some work in letting things go. And what was that process things. like when you had to learn how to do one of these <laughs> at times to let the grip off of whatever it is you had, to, you felt that you had to control? What was that like? I still work on it daily. That's not something that goes away. While there's different stages of child development, I have worked on it when she was younger. There are times when, damn, I cannot tell her what to do because she will then not think for herself. Same thing about my niece. There were so many instances in her growing up where she would call and say, well, what should I do? Well, what are your options? And I can't tell you what to do because it's your life, not mine. The absolute work to let it go is challenging at best. And I will be the first to tell you, I don't always get it right. There, there are times when I've listened to myself, like I just told her, why are you wearing that that way? You should wear it this way. Does that really matter? Unless it's like some snowstorm, rainstorm, whatever. I've even gotten to that point in letting go of control. Cool. You know what? It's 40 degrees outside, but you want to wear some short sleeves and a little sweatshirt. You don't want to put, you know, a warm coat on. Okay. As DMV weather. So, whew. yeah, yeah. It, like you'll learn. I think that's the point of letting go of control. You are there as a guide. You are not there as a dictator. Mm. You are not there as a king. You are not there as a sole proprietorship. It is a partnership, man, yeah. because I think people think that children, they don't really recognize them as people. They have their own thoughts. They have their own feelings. They have their own personalities. They have their own character. It's already developing. You have to address that as a real person, just at an age appropriate level. And I want to mention, you've got to model what you want them to be because they are constantly watching. This was one thing that my niece struggled with, with her dad. He will say, this but his actions mm. would be here Man. so that would confuse her because he's a good talker so he would say whatever it was to get back into favor and that was like well he said this and okay well do you believe that 
What did he tell you he was going to do? And what actually happened? You decide that. And it's easier as they get older. Um, but yeah, man. So, so going back to your original question, what was it like for me growing up? Dysfunctional, for sure. My dad was functional, alcoholic. And I say functional because that's how he coped with and managed the stresses of being a father and a husband. Going back to my childhood, and this was, you know, my mom and dad's marriage. There was a point where he would come home from work and, you know, wife, make me a drink. Okay. And she'd make him a drink, whether she wanted to or not. At that point, I don't notice if there's tension or not, but I see what's being modeled, right? I'm sitting at the kitchen table. I'm probably, I don't know, five, six years old. Can't really remember to the age, but then I'm like, wife, make me, make me some milk. While it's all fun and games, when they're little and they make these jokes and cool, like nowadays it'd be on TikTok, it'd be on whatever, right? Posting, everybody laughs about it. Oh, that's hilarious. Cool, on the surface, cool, right? That is funny. But did you pick up on that modeling? I already witnessed my dad saying, you know, wife, make me a drink, and she made it. Why else would I say, wife, make me some milk? So that already plants a seed of domination. You don't mean it, it's not intentional, but that plants a seed of you're here to serve me. That doesn't plant a seed of this is a partnership. This is a give and take because I don't remember, oh, husband, make me a drink. <laughs> I don't remember hearing that. I don't remember seeing that. I don't remember, oh, here, you know what? I know you like this wine. Here, let me pour that glass for you. I don't remember seeing those things. Again, you can say whatever you want to your children. What are you living? What are you modeling? As you continue to grow through life, dad was just working to provide. Mm -hmm. And of course, then in that time in 19, it was a lot of work. You know, you saw it, what it was. Dads will work well over eight hours, 10, 12 hours. Working midnight shifts. There you go, you know all that good stuff. Yeah. And then yeah. for you, there mm -hmm. had to be some type of gap that, hey, it'd be great to have dad here. So did you have like some other men who mentored or poured into you as you mm -hmm. grew? And what was that like? Completely, completely I did. I'll, I'll share with you a couple of those times, as a matter of fact. And, and there was a gap so there was a time, uh, I would say when I got to, in high school, where my dad got a different job and oddly enough was down here in Virginia. So the last two years of my high school, he was here and we were in Ohio. So again, playing sports and all this stuff, doing the stuff that kids do. I will say that what I do know what my dad did was every other weekend drove for 10 plus hours from Hampton, Virginia back to little old Oberlin, Ohio, where I was born, where I'm from. Did that every other weekend and made every basketball game that he could that I played. I did not appreciate it then. You know why? Because all I thought about as a teenager was, and I was like, how's that? You not here now. So why do I care that you driving to my game? You ain't here during the week. You ain't here every other week. Why get you here now? That was my teenage mind at that point. That like, that's something that he did. He didn't have to do that. He could have went ahead, kept living his life. I will say this, my senior year, basketball was my thing. That was my life, right? At that point, we were like pay to play. So I played, I had to choose one sport. That was basketball. My senior year, we're at practice and the coach, for those of you who don't remember this name, Bobby Knight. 
Oh, the yeah. former Come coach of now. Indiana and Texas Tech, right? Yeah. Legend, not the greatest communicator. No That's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting it lightly. Just mm-hmm, putting it lightly. Mm-hmm. Well, my high school coach was from that school. If I rip you up one side down the other, I degrade you. That's that's how I coach. Now, let's step away for a second. And just talk about that used to be acceptable for manhood, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm toughening you up, like man up, take it. So one day at practice, man, like coach, I, I made a mistake, which happens. Ripped me up one side, down the other. Mind you, I've never disrespected this man to his face. Never talked about him like others on the team did. To his face, behind his back, any of that. Never did that. Always did everything I was asked. Always gave him my all. Always played my all. So at that point, I chose, I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not going to deal with this no more. Get through practice, waiting for a couple of my homies. I'm going to take them home because I'm driving. So I was like, hold on. I got to go in his office, talk to him. Went in his office. I was in tears, but because I was angry. Right. Because I'm realizing I'm about to quit the one thing that I love as an 18 year old in high school. I'm about to give up the one thing that I love to do because I'm not going to tolerate that kind of abuse anymore. Going to his office and I say what I got to say, like, look, man, just literally what I just told you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I give you everything I got and you talking to me in your kind of way and I'm not having it no more. Coach said, okay, it's the way I coach. If you don't like it, there's the door. I understand. We're on the same page now. So I'll go out of his office, waiting for my homies. We're on the way out the door. Literally, I'm the last one before the door closes. Coach is like, Lee, hold on, come back. Brings me back to his office. He was like, look, you know, I understand that that may have not been right. This didn't really apologize, but kind of said some stuff. And I'm like, okay. So I stayed on the team. So I get home. And tell my mom, because I was actually late, you know, about an hour late, whatever. Tell like tell her about this whole thing. And she's like, yo, you know what? Why didn't you come home and tell me before you did that, right? I said, I couldn't do that. Because if I tell you, what does it look like for me, for my mom to go fight my battles with the coach? Because then my mom is now taking care of what I need to take care of. And all the dudes on the, the team are gonna ride me like, oh, you need your mom to do this. You see what I'm saying? Would that have been ideal if my dad had been there to be like, coach, what the hell you doing with my boy? Big difference. Right? <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> if, if I go home and tell him that, right? Because I'd seen my dad take up for my sister the same way. It was years before, right? I was younger, but my, my sister was in high school. The band director like embarrassed her to no end, made her cry in front of everybody. She came home upset. My dad was like, we ain't having this. Picked up the phone, called him, basically cussed him out. Didn't even let him get a word in, hung up the phone. Next day, man, like the band director is doing all kinds of apologies, write a letter to my dad, all of this, right? So clearly I know he was capable of that, but he was not there. So that probably helped fuel my attitude of, well, I got to be my own man because you're not here to defend me. I fast forward a couple of years after that, after high school, again, some men along the way that mentored me, right? And were father figures. One in particular is one of my friend's dads now. So we lost one of our best friends, ironically, back in 95, same year, literally two weeks after my niece was born. 
but at the time that's one of the one of the hardest things i thought i was ever going to go through in my life clearly was not but thought it was my friend's dad you know my mom reached out to him and he took me to lunch it was very profound because he was talking about the group of us right the group of guys who were suffering from having lost their friend and he said you can use this his, his death you all are in crisis right now the translation is loose but the chinese word for crisis is made up of two words danger and opportunity mm. he said so and and i've i've looked it up and again it is a loose translation but very that's the crux of the translation he said so while you all are in crisis right now you can use this as an opportunity to not let your friend's death be in vain like live for him what would he want you to be would he want you to be suffering so it's a choice or you can go ahead with your dangerous suffering in the way that you are managing through this grief keep being dangerous and you might join him save my life and it's funny because uh they actually live in New York. I used to have some assignments in New York with my job and all this so I would always go check them out. Uh about 6 6-7 years ago when I was visiting with them for like 2 hours, I reminded him of this story. Now, we've been through I don't know what 20 plus years, right? And he was unaware of one that that lunch saved my life. He was unaware of that. And two, didn't even really recall the details of taking me to lunch. So that was a man of service. It wasn't for anything other than my son's friend's mother reached out to me because her son needs some help right now. That's all that was. Service. Because if it was about him, he would have been like, "Hey man, remember when I took you to lunch?" Like it would always come up, right? It was never about him. Man of service. That has stuck with me obviously to this day. So he's one of the men that was influential in my life that allowed me to see what nurturing was like from a man, what caring was like, and empathy from a man. Yes. Or again, like I said, the masculine energy. Yeah, saved my life, man. Folks, hopefully you enjoyed that. This concludes part one with my interview with Lee. Stay tuned for part two.